0: Chronicles chapter 12, um, we are told there that the men of Issachar understood the times and the seasons in which they lived. And so I thought today, what I'd like to do is talk about the uh, times and seasons in which we live. And I think we can agree that um, that we're in turbulent times. And when I say turbulent times, I wanted to take a, a snapshot of the New Zealand society as it is. Now, when we cut into something, we see all the different sediment layers. Okay, This happens to be a cake, um, which I shouldn't leave out there too long, should I? But I will. Um, um, and you can see in the sediment cake different layers, and I want to use this as an illustration to describe the different layers in which uh, society is being shaped. So let me rip into it. We're living in a time of unprecedented change. Uh, We have a very liberal government, the Western world is increasingly liberal, we have a very liberal media, education system is very liberal. And so we've got a whole lot of things happening at the moment as we thin slice our society. And so we've got a lot of stuff going through Parliament at the moment which is going to affect us. Um, There's a re-look at the abortion laws that have been um, with us for a long time and some would argue need to be updated, which is understandable. Um, but the idea of uh, abortion, they uh, suggesting, will no longer be a criminal offence. And I, I speak about this knowing that um, there's some of you here who may have had the unfortunate circumstances around you where you've had an abortion. I'm not here to condemn that. Uh, we're just going to talk about it in a very logical way. But the biggest challenge that uh, is being put to us is a challenge that is seeing legislation being crafted where um, full-term abortion could be performed, and uh, essentially a nine-month-old child is killed. Uh, So the reason that they can do that, or the way around that, is you redefine the terms. Um, Firstly, up to three months, you call that child a placenta, and after that it's called a fetus, and not until it's born is it called a baby. And this is what's happened in New York State and other states around America and and in Europe. Uh, which is it's a very, very challenging. And I know the situations that people find themselves in, women find themselves in, is incredibly emotional and very, very difficult. Um, but what we've got here is a scenario where the womb is probably the most unsafe place in New Zealand for a New Zealander. So we've got this happening. Down the other end here, we've got the euthanasia bill being, being worked over at the moment. Second reading through Select, uh, being through select Committee last week. Uh, The vote was 50-70. Prime Minister said she voted for it because people need to have a choice. If what's happened in Europe is anything to go by, that choice, which seems like freedom and it seems like grace and mercy, actually becomes a form of manipulation, social engineering, whereby somebody who feels that they don't have anything to offer um, feels an obligation to surrender their life to the needle. And that in itself is the beginning of a very thin wedge that creates pressure further down the other end to say that if you're not useful to society anymore, you should do your kids a favor and stop spending their inheritance and you know, knock yourself into an early grave. And so you've got these challenges that are, are, are coming. The majority of legislatures around the world or governments around the world that have been presented with the euthanasia option have rejected it. The majority, the vast majority. A thousand doctors wrote a petition to sign a petition to Parliament the other day saying, We don't want this, because they don't want to be caught up in the, uh, the, the moral and ethical dilemmas that are associated with having to make these choices. Folks who work in hospices are dead, are dead against it. I mean, they get the opportunity to see people transition through death, pass through death, with incredibly good palliative care, which we have in New Zealand. We're very, 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 very blessed in that sense. And so, what we've got is a scenario where at the moment in the House there's two lots of legislation being worked over abortion, euthanasia. But in the middle, um, we've got another challenge, and we've been told that we, we should take care of, and that is we're overwhelmed by suicide, youth suicide. And we're going, well, kill people here, kill people here, but we, we're desperate and in tears in the middle. We're saying young people particularly shouldn't take their own lives. And so, I mean, like, how does that work? You know, you told me that I crawled out of a swamp through the evolutionary theory. I have no more intrinsic value than a frog, but I should value my life, but you're killing people off here, killing people off here. And so the government pours $1.9 billion into mental health at the last budget over a three year period with the idea that we can invest in uh, good counseling, good education to help people understand that their life is worth living. But at the same time, we're processing now the idea of uh, legalised marijuana, which we know will cause more mental problems, more mental health problems, okay? And so we've got this this confusion happening in the life of our society at the moment, which is just creating real turmoil for, for everybody, particularly those who are closer to the coalface. Um, I was talking to an educator two weeks ago who's from the Bay Hawke's Bay area, and uh, him and some other folks operate a service, an education service that goes into schools talking about health, talking about um, relationships, talking about sexuality. And the government folks got alongside them and said, here's a new program that we'd like you to um, apply to teach. And so the education that they were being told they had to bring to the schools was for primary age schools up to intermediate age schools. And the government was putting on, through these, these folks who were going to be trained to do this, they were told that. Within the syllabus now um, they 'll be talking about gender fluidity with seven year olds talking about how it 's important that they make a choice about what what, what gender they want to be and so my friend and the colleagues went to the um, guy running the course and said look we 're christians and we don 't believe that we could actually talk like this to seven year olds about this sort of stuff. you know this is just way too big for them." And uh, the guy said, yeah, I agree. As Christians, you're probably going to find this really challenging. I don't think you'd be appropriate to actually teach the course. so I'm not going to recommend that you do. And furthermore, and he pointed to one of the guys in the group, he says, furthermore, you are way too masculine to teach this. You are way too masculine to talk about relationships. And um, so, so, you know, people are being defined as you know, in certain in certain criteria, aren't they way too masculine? So sorry, guys, park your swander eyes. You're not allowed to wear those anymore. Okay, so can you? So I say this not to freak us out, even though it's freaky, but just to say that um, we're in the midst of a a real a real um, challenge that's coming from liberal community. Now, I say all of this not so that we can get on our high horse and condemn everybody. That. That doesn't work, that's not what Jesus did Jesus got alongside people And he conversed with them And engaged in a, a loving, caring Friendship with them wherever possible So this isn't about us being Equipped and armed to um, You know, go and petition Parliament with our, with our Stock whips and sort them out And the reason why I say that is because um, The church in itself is Going through a difficult time as well Okay, um, in fact Many folks would say the church is broken and uh, that perception is understandable, given the fact that in the last couple of decades there's been this, this surge of stuff that reveals what's been happening in the life of the church. So uh, we know the Catholic Church is in real crisis at the moment with respect to sexual abuse uh, from those in leadership. Archbishop Pell, um, as a result of a royal commission in Australia, the Australian Archbishop was is, is in jail now as a result of that sexual abuse. Um, last year when I was the Baptist National Leader, and I was in that role for seven years. Um, we worked with uh, the Anglicans and Catholics and petitioned um, Inan Sachinan, who was the former Governor-General of New Zealand, who's heading up a Royal Commission looking at child abuse in state care since 1950. That's the the, um, the boundary back to 1950 to present day, because um, the Royal Commission is trying to you know, reconcile problems from that, that era when children were in state care and so we've appealed to them and said can you broaden that and make it church and state because we don't want to be left behind in this if there's things that have to be addressed, we want them all done at the same time and so thankfully the, the framework of the terms of agreement for this inquiry is being stretched to ensure that the, the Royal Commission covers both um, but we, even within New Zealand evangelicalism um, we've, had a, we've had a rough time And understandably rough time. Um, You only have to roll the clock back 20 years when we had some political parties that tried to make some noise with respect to representing Christians. Uh, The Christian Heritage Party ended up with its um, leader, Graham Capel, in jail because he was sexually violating his own children. Uh, In the last three or four years, we've seen the the Conservative Party leader um, hit on his press secretary and end up in court because of that. And now he continues to Push back on people running defamation cases through court, um, so that all becomes a bit of a, a bit of a joke. Um, and the go-to guy, of course, who represents everything Christian at the moment. Um, okay, now you, know, you got you got to love Brian. I mean, you got to love Brian. He is um, he's a bit of an icon in his own way, but let me tell you this: that program that is being pushed back. Um, out of um, jails at the moment, the program called Man Up, is amazing. It is transformational. It has changed thousands of lives of men, uh, particularly in the areas where there's been hardened gang life and um, and the government doesn't want to borrow it. OK, he doesn't represent himself in an ideal way, but you know, the government doesn't want to know it. And the, and the, and the crazy thing about this is that uh, in the media... Of course the media just want to sell newspapers so they're looking for polarising views all the time. So Brian will represent the evangelical church and then um, the professor for religious studies from the Massey University campus in Auckland is uh, Professor Peter Lynham, who himself is uh, is gay, goes to the Rainbow Church. Um, And so he is speaking to the counter of what Brian is about. So you've got these really polarised views. Peter is a lovely guy. Honestly, he's a lovely guy Charming gentleman Uh, And yet, we've got this clash of worlds That are happening in front of us All designed to stir up This whole conversation in front of us And particularly in the media To firstly sell newspapers But secondly, to uh, Ensure that um, the world Continues believing this narrative That the church is broken and has nothing To say Of course, again, we don't help ourselves When we um, we have uh, you know, enthusiastic young rugby players who post on Instagram things out of context. And I say this out of context, I don't want to dive into the case, uh, except to say that it's not rugby that's on trial, it's not Israel that's on trial, it's freedom of speech that's on trial. And so therefore, um, we have to make sure that we get this, get this in its right context. The media will present it as, a, as somebody who's a hater, trying to hate on people. I think the thing that bothers me the most about this is that this, these few words that Israel posted here um, are basically a shrunken version of some scripture, and the scripture in itself is out of First Corinthians. I'll read it to you here, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually or moral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, that's a beautiful passage. As long as you're repenting. Okay it's music to your ears but what is stated twice here is this whole passage is about people not inheriting the kingdom of God now the kingdom of God isn't about heaven and hell the kingdom of God is about living under that covenant blessing that blessing of covenant that we have with God and that kingdom of God experience began from the time of the resurrection we're experiencing a portion of the kingdom of God right now okay That's why the temperature's just right, okay? You see, the kingdom of God is far bigger than just the judgment of heaven and hell. And uh, I think if Israel had stuck the scripture up, there wouldn't have been even a blink or a wink, really, compared to what he's up against now. The challenge that we face in society, though, is this, is that um, it's easy for me to get up here. I'm a product. I was born in the 60s. And um, being a product of my own generation... I've had the ability to see society shift And its values shift Um, The challenge for younger Christians Is that Surrounding them at the moment Is a worldview that is uh, Predominantly saying Hey sexuality is your own choice And you can sleep with whoever you want And uh, as young Christians People are desperately searching Scripture to try to find something that would say That traditionally we've got it wrong Okay That maybe we can sail with that, that ship with those who believe that you, know, you can just express your own sexuality any way you want. The challenge with doing this is not what happens between the sheets. It's not what happens in bed. Uh, the thing about um, same-sex relationships is that it, it corrupts the image of God. So you go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. We're told that we are made, male and female, are made in the image of God. And so, therefore, when a male and female together in that act and covenant of marriage look in the mirror, they say, we reflect the image of God to society. There's something divine in there. And so, when we distort that image, we're actually distorting the view and the image of God. And that that is where the the biggest challenge comes, because we're to reflect the image of God in a positive way, not distort it as, as human beings so it 's a difficult challenge now, to help us understand why we 've arrived where we have arrived, <clears throat> excuse me i 'm going to take us back on a little journey for about um, about three hundred years okay so we didn 't arrive the situation that we 're in today didn 't arrive when Mark Zuckerberg presented Facebook to us okay don 't think the devil is Mark Zuckerberg and his Facebook. All Facebook did was create an opportunity for all this stuff to surface and manifest in a public way and I'll explain how and why that's the case in a moment but um, let me bore bore you with a few details first Um, basically the worldview was very simple uh, up to 300 years ago we lived in God's world God was the author of our lives the creator the judge everything within this world just simply fell in order with his will okay pretty simple stuff But then there came this period called the Enlightenment. Now, strangely, people say it lasted for 101 years. Now, it's only based around some philosophers that actually lived at the time, Descartes, Voltaire, and a few others. And they started to shape the thinking of the Western world. And the Western world thinking basically moved away from faith and a biblical worldview to um, to look at um, things like um, reason, logic, criticism, and freedom of thought. And that science Will reveal the truth behind the universe Now all the people who were doing The studying at the time, the scientists Weren't um, bent on Trying to prove um, What we would call secular humanism now That is that man has, has Created his own destiny and we're all Authors of our own lives What they were trying to do in this period of time Was understand and unpack God's world Okay so it wasn't there wasn't anything uh, malicious about what they were aiming to do. They just said, look at this beautiful world. Let's see if we can understand it more. And they found that there were principles in there that were repeatable principles. You know, uh, things like um, uh, obviously gravity had been talked about well before, but, uh, and the Copernican shift had happened well before, that we aren't on Earth the centre of the universe. But all these different engineering laws and understanding how our world works became available to us. And so we then moved into a period um, in the last hundred or so years called um, solid modernity. Now, solid modernity uh, has some truths about it. It says that science equals truth. Okay, science equals truth. So if it's proven and it's repeatable, repeatedly proven, then it's true. Yeah? It's not hard to understand, is it? I can understand that. Um, that perfection, therefore, can be attained. Because if you've got something that repeats itself in all the world, you can reproduce that again and again and again in different spheres. And therefore, you can control, can control your environment, which is a great way to think, isn't it? All of a sudden, you've got this hope rising to say, science is going to give us all the answers that we need to put our life in perfect order. Okay, Um, and therefore we can have this confidence that life is predictable and stable, even better. All right. Um, And the the classic example of this was Henry Ford's production line in the 1920s when the Model T Ford came rolling out at $500 $500 a pop, any colour you want, as long as it's black. Okay, why? Because we only made black. We've got a production line going here. And literally, when Henry Ford wanted to increase production, he just turned the engine up and made those wheels spin faster and those and everything had to speed up. Okay, so it was it was this time of of great hope for humanity as a whole that existed. However, that hope was at a philosophical level. It wasn't actually happening at a real level. Um, because after this great Renaissance of understanding and enlightenment that happened, um, there was an interruption there which blew people's socks off. It was called World War I. How on earth did we end up killing each other by the millions of World War I? But the 1920s returned, and that's when Ford's production line took off, and so hope was restored. Sadly, though, um, there was a depression. You know, we've been told philosophically by um, uh, what's his name Adam, Adam Smith um, who was again a philosopher and, a, and an economist and the American president when he wrote the book called The Wealth of Nations and he spun the big picture of what capitalism could look like and that's why Americans have gone down this track of capitalism the western world that if we can just simply put ourselves in a position where we produce everybody benefits the division of labour is all part of that. See my, my dad my mum and dad grow kiwifruit 200 years ago, ago they would have grown everything. They would have had a cow, a goat. They would have had apples, kiwi fruit, and everything else. Now you just grow kiwi fruit. Now, if you don't work in a world where there's a division of labour, the only thing you'll eat is kiwi fruit. Okay, you'll have great levels of vitamin C and a very healthy bowel, but you won't have anything else going for you. All right. So the division of labour means that we all cooperate together to produce something in a free market economy, and if there's more of something, the price goes down. Yeah, we all know how that works, don't we? And so, so we've been given this um, this idea that we can trust the economy. Even um, communism promised the same under a different philosophy. Okay, but again. Humans got in the way of all these great ideas, because in the midst of World War sorry, in the midst of the twentieth century came World War II. We were hit with fascism, which is totalitarianism in another way, which says you know you got had Italy, Spain, and uh, Nazi Germany uh, believing in authoritarian rule, challenging all of these democracies, and they genuinely believed that they were doing God's work. Why? Because the Bible talks about. Leaders having authority, democracy was only emerging out of scripture, okay so all these people didn 't come at these things with evil intent they thought they were doing the world a favor okay so ultimately we in solid modernity believe that technology will improve our lives and here 's a big one: um, delayed gratification would allow us to achieve the things in life that we that we want to achieve. delayed gratification being um, young men. Young woman, don't go to the beach and waste your life. Go to university. Delay the gratification. All right? Don't just do what you want. Then you will get a haircut and a real job. All right? Then you will serve well, work hard, and one day you will get the boss's job. And you'll get paid well, you'll buy that house, and everything else will work out really well for you. Okay? Um, and ultimately, your value to society and your identity is in what you produce. So if you're a builder, you produce houses. If you're a doctor, you produce healthy people. If you're a teacher, you produce um, detention, homework. <laughs> you produce educated people who can, who can read and move on in life. So that's solid modernity. It's understandable. A lot of us, if you're my age, around my age and older, you were you born into this world to fulfil that expectation. That's what philosophy is all about. You don't even know it's around you. It's the air that you breathe, and you don't even know what it is you're breathing until you stand away from yourself and have a look at it. That's what the philosophy of of life is all about. So I'm going to move now into liquid modernity. I've got the list all in one of all these different things that are, um, are true about liquid modernity. Liquid by definition, just think of water, okay, liquid, all right? You hear of terms like being gender fluid, that's where that comes from, okay? This philosophy didn't just come with Facebook or um, a liberal gay agenda. Liquid modernity, firstly, utopia doesn't exist. And the strange thing is, is this is a, a real statement, <clears throat> this is a real truth-telling statement. Because the crazy thing about it is that last century, while we were killing each other by the millions in World War I and Two, and through other wars uh, around capitalism, communism, philosophical wars essentially, um, we still believed that this utopia was possible and that humanism, secular humanism, the education of the masses would allow us to ra- be ra- raised up and be better, better people all the time. Uh, it's, that's untrue. It doesn't work that way because human, human greed and the like just get in the way. Desire for power gets in the way of all these things. Um, the idea that the future is predictable, is, it's not predictable um, we, we know that it's not predictable, even on the basis of, of natural disasters, it's not predictable. You know, people never foresaw the, 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 uh, the fall of the Wall Street trading markets in the 1920s. You know, never foresaw uh, the social changes and revolutions that occurred in the 1960s, and so it goes on. Never foresaw what the internet and, and the like would do for us to change our society. So it's not predictable. Uh, truth is therefore not something that we can attain and that serves us. Truth is, uh, is subjective. Isn't what we're told by the millennials and the like and the people within li- Liquid identity, is that truth can't be trusted. You see, my generation was raised on the basis that the school teacher knew more than I did my, the idea was that I had to learn what the school teacher knew so that I, in turn, could be the school teacher. I could take that information and apply it to my life. Nowadays, information is freely available, dot, 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 Google, or some of you are married to husbands and you don't need Google, okay, but dot, 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 Google, okay? And um, notice I didn't say married to wives, so, so I'm in trouble. Sure. So, Information is freely available. I remember speaking on a course to a group of international students in Fiji around about 15 years ago, and uh, this young guy came up to me and said, Craig, thank you um, for being authentic when you talk to us about the subject. I can't remember what it was now. And I said, "Oh, why do you say that? And he says, well, he says, here on my computer, I have every bit of information that you've just told us over the last two hours and more. The only thing you bring is that you make what you've said authentic, and it's believable, And I can trust it. It's like, oh wow, it's pretty depressing, eh? You know, I thought I'd I thought I'd been invited because I knew something, Um, but now um, truth is truth at a level of information is everywhere. Okay. Here's the kicker, though. When I would investigate something, I would see whether it was true, and I'd allow my feelings therefore to be engaged in that truth, okay? Let me, let me put it this way. When I married Michaela, we came to the altar. She told me she loved me. I told her I loved her back. And in that place, in that truth, our feelings were safe. So when I have a worldview which talks about God, talks about the world in which I live, it's predictable. Um, my feelings and my aspirations and my goals and my emotions, they are safe in there. Under truth, I can trust this. Does it make sense? Yeah. But when there's no truth, but you still have feelings, the reverse happens. Feelings become truth. Truth is subjective. Truth can be challenged. Empirical truth can be challenged. But my feelings are now the measure of my truth. And the problem with that is that when I challenge your feelings and you get hurt, I'm actually challenging your truth. And so therefore you're offended very easily. It's very, very difficult to have a conversation these days without people just standing up and leaving the room because they get offended. And uh, we live as a, as a Judeo-Christian world, uh, probably more the Christian world than the Judeo part of it. We for a long time have been influenced by the, the, the story of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross silent like a lamb, even though he was beaten, but almost literally to death. On the cross when he was crucified, he said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. So what we're seeing in here is Jesus sucking it up, taking the offense, taking the pain for the sake of the bigger picture. And we we've we valued that over years as a Western world because that has given us the ability to say, okay, I've got to see a bigger picture here. There might be truth out there that I don't understand. Therefore, I'll take the beating. I'll take the pain until a bigger truth is revealed. Sarah, you with me on this? But now, because we don't hold on to those values and that view, it's all about my feelings. And if you upset my feelings, then um, then uh, you've upset me, and you've upset my truth. And so, in an argument, it's often the first person to claim to be offended by somebody else's comment that closes the argument or wins the argument. And on that basis, it's just a race to the bottom, isn't it? Does it make sense? It's a race to the bottom. Yeah, um, and so feelings are true, and uh, and then we've got this other thing, which really, really is a difficult one to to uh, live with, is that we have this constant reinvention of our own identity. Um, now, look, I know that um, I know that fashion changes, all right, and so therefore we will wear different clothes and all that sort of thing, but there's In certain sectors of our society, we've got this on steroids, okay? Uh, And this is where I'm saying uh, Facebook emerged around about, what is it, 10, 12 years ago, okay? And all of a sudden, you've got this ability to be able to represent yourself in media to a worldwide audience. So therefore, your image is everything. Okay, your image is everything. And so if you want to follow a pop star, for example... Um, look at what Madonna has done. Madonna just turned 60 this year, all right? Old Madge. And she's, um, she's gone from, she's gone, I won't, I won't name, she's gone through all of these metamorphoses that brought her to where she is today. Okay? And that in itself might seem okay, but it puts an enormous amount of pressure upon people to perform in the same way. Back in my day, the idea was you keep up with the Joneses. Okay? Surveys were done when TVs came into New Zealand in the 1960s that if somebody had a a television in that street and they had a TV aerial up, within 18 months, the majority of that street, people would have television. You'd go back to the next street and there'd be no televisions. Why? Because people were keeping up with the Joneses. We don't keep up with the Joneses anymore. We keep up with the Kardashians. (laughs) We keep up with celebrities. Yeah. And, and if you're fortunate enough to, to have some sort of cool X factor going for you, um, you become an influencer, all right? And that sort of minor celebrity status where you're an influencer, where somebody will look at your lifestyle, you might be marketing a product, and you'll say, look, I just um, got sent these wonderful sunglasses, uh, through these sunglasses, the world looks amazing, you should buy them too. Okay, so you have got these little minor celebrities, and, and so this sort of thing goes on all around us now, but the constant invention of ourselves is to develop our own brand, our own celebrity. Um, survey of teenagers just last year had within New Zealand that 65 to 70% of 16 to 18 year olds, 16 to 18 year olds, expected or hoped to be discovered. Now, it's not a bad thing. I mean, at one level, you're putting yourself out there, you're giving your best shot. But uh, everybody wants to find themselves repeating the Ed Sheeran story. Now, Ed Sheeran's a, a global phenomenon. This little ginger ninja from London, eh? He is an amazing character. He started in his bedroom just doing loop pedal music. So he'd play his guitar, he'd record that, and then he'd uh, play something else that sounded like drums, uh, piano, and all that. Then he put lyrics to it. And he'd create a whole band in his own bedroom by virtue of technology. And so he puts that up online. People go, hey, there's more to this guy than red hair, and we like him. Now, he plays to 90,000 people a night at Wembley for weeks at a time, doing what he did in his bedroom, just with a loop pedal. And his songs, are, uh, you know, they speak, they're speaking to the world. I'm not saying every one of them is brilliant, but musically, fantastic, eh? Hey? So you've got a whole generation of people saying, I want to be like Ed. I want to be discovered. You know, and I think that's a great idea. I'll give it a go. I have a band of men and all they do is play for me. I'm not going to make it, am I? Okay? Yeah, but to make it, to make it, I'm just working on my six pack. Because once I get a six pack, I can put my image up on Facebook and I'll be an influencer. There's a uh, a website called Preachers Sneakers. Are the guys here? Preachers Sneakers. See, the millennials in the the church staff know about it. They put me onto it. But I I think I've got it right like this. It's a website that highlights the footwear of preachers in the States. Why? Because preachers are being sponsored to wear Michael Jordan Nikes, which are five to six thousand dollars a pop. And so they're wearing them, and what it's doing is actually highlighting their level of celebrity. Because if you're a preacher and you've got a great audience and you can rock up there with your three-piece suit and your red Nikes on, um, you rock. Hey? Eh? Boom. You're smoking. You're making it. Is that right? Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Smashed it, bro. Hey, awesome! Awesome, 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 awesome. That's the main word. Okay. So, what I'm, <laughs> It's pervasive. It's pervasive. Hey, um, I don't know where that ends. Whew, these were 50 bucks. <laughs> I got them at Walmart when I was in the States on a, on a, a trip there going to a conference. They've lasted me four years, haven't worn out yet. Best pair of shoes I've ever had. So, on it. It's only because I walk on water and air. (laughs) Yay! Yeah, boom, boom. (laughs) This is going downhill in a hurry, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, I pulled some things out of the newspaper in the last couple of weeks. Okay, because this stuff is everywhere. Okay, I'll just tell you one story before I show a couple of clips. Uh, Two weeks ago in Wellington, three weeks ago in Wellington, Um, a city councillor was talking to a bunch of school children about plans for the city. And uh, the Herald produced this article which said um, um, accusing this councillor of ageism. Right? Some of you remember this? So what happened is a 17-year-old girl challenged this councillor, put her idea forward, and he says, no, no, that won't work, you know, da 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 for this reason. She goes to the media and says the guy is ageist. He doesn't want to hear my idea because he thinks I'm too young. That's just outright offensive to me. Now, here's the the deal. This 17 year old, I would like to talk to her and say, when you're 34, do you expect to know more than when you're 17? Well, you hope so, wouldn't you? (laughs) When you're 68, twice again, you'd expect to know a little bit more again, wouldn't you? So, what's your problem? But to be offended because some old guy knows more than you, my good night, where does this begin and end? Moving on, this was in the Herald just two days ago, talking about travel, the reason why people travel. Novelty is another big reason to travel, a study by the University of Georgia found that the bragging value of a location was an important factor when spending one's holiday leave. The paper found that the appeal of a destination was related to the amount of compliments or social return travelers had on their holiday photos. In other words, most people are looking for an ego boost from a holiday that makes them appear more adventurous or trendy than they otherwise would be. Now, I just used to go on holiday because I was tired. (laughs) If you wanted to take a picture of me slobbing by Lake Kaidu, wearing my black singlet and my rugby shorts, and you thought that was worth something, good luck to you. But for me, it was just like, I'm going somewhere because I need a break. Imagine the pressure. I'm going on holiday, and now I've got to spend my life getting that pose right. Okay? Literally, people fall literally off the cliff, don't they, with their selfie stickers. They're trying to get that pose. It's very dangerous going on holiday. Okay? Here's another one. Last Saturday, not, not yesterday, the week before, I was uh, driving back home listening to uh, Onesie B. back, and Jack Tame holds the, holds the saddle on a Saturday morning. And he was talking about this movie called The Rolling Thunder Review. Now, it's a story, a documentary, about a period of time in the 1970s when Bob Dylan, the singer-songwriter, made a comeback. He had an, a bad vehicle accident, a motorbike accident, I think, in 1966 and went cold for about six or seven years, didn't do anything and decided that his comeback, that he was going to do a small venue tour right through the Midwest and it was called the Rolling Thunder Tour. And so Martin Scorsese, who is a very well known producer, director, gets this material together, starts showing all the film footage film footage, in this documentary. <clears throat> so far, so good. Talking about this tour that they did. Now, Jack Tame caught my attention, um, because he said, there's something in this movie that really disturbed me. He said, the director has put in a whole lot of false interviews. He's interviewed people about the tour who weren't there as they told stories about what they did on the tour. One of them is Sharon Stone, who's a Hollywood actress. And uh, her story is that she turned up there with her mum as a 17-year-old, got discovered, and went on tour as a roadie for the rest of this tour. It didn't happen. And there's four interviews on this documentary like this. And even old Jack Tame, who's a millennial man, if there was one, was saying, what gives? Why did he do this? Well, the simple story is don't interrupt the story for the truth, particularly if you're making people feel good. Because if it feels better, it's more important than actually having the truth. Because feelings trump truth. Yeah? So, so if the story's got a few holes in it, let's just make something up and put it in there. Now, I read quite a few reviews because I wanted to see what else other people were thinking about it. And they were saying, oh yes, this just reflects the otherworldliness of Bob Dylan. He was sort of in the world, but not of the world. He was sort of filled with fantasy, he sort of floated around in the, in the stratosphere, sometimes landing on the ground of reality, but otherwise he lived this sort of uh, larger than life life where truth didn't really matter. I'm like, oh, what a load of rubbish. <laughs> so this is what we're being exposed to. So let's, let's, let's start to bring this down. <clears throat> Here's a snapshot. Firstly, for somebody who's emerging, In this torrid world, you've got to define yourself, which is a real challenge when you're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. Because image counts, image defines you. Um, I consume, therefore I am. That's another big one. And so you're on the internet, you're showing what you've bought, you're showing where you're going, where you're spending your money. It could be a new haircut, it could be a new pair of shoes, it could be a holiday, uh, whatever it might be. But you are putting yourself out there, showing that your life is something that other people should be jealous of. Okay. Um, the challenge with that is that it drives people into themselves, and it drives people into isolation. Because they can't be even the person that they're presenting themselves to be, and they certainly can't be the person who is their friend who's got a better looking Facebook than they have or Instagram, because their image, their marketing of themselves is far classier than anybody else's. I was talking to a lady after the first service here about this and she said her 24 year old son has taken himself off Facebook and off Instagram and the weight has come off his shoulder, she said like nothing else. Why? Because even he couldn't live up to his own expectations. And he said the girls who he dated based upon their Facebook certainly didn't. So um, I'm just quoting. (laughs) I'm just quoting. (laughs) Okay, but the the challenge with this is that um, you are perpetually updating yourself. You've got to change that image. You can't go stale. You can't go moldy. You've got to keep on producing input. Um, I am a commodity, therefore, I'm marketable or I want to be marketable, therefore I have to be a commodity, okay? It's not about just getting in this solid modernity trip where you serve, 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 delay gratification and you'll get that, that job with the cell phone and the company car. Because my image is so cool and I've got 2,000 followers, when I walk into your place, you better give me that car, you better give me that cell phone and that fat check, because uh, will not check, automatic payment. Because um, I deserve it, I've got 2,000 people who think I'm cool. Um, The other thing is I keep my choices open. Okay, Don't commit to anything because that locks you down. On Facebook, if you get an invite to something, you've got three choices. What are they? Yes, no, and maybe. maybe. (laughs) I'll talk to you guys. (laughs) Maybe is killing you guys. It is killing you. Why? Because you keep holding out for something better that's going to come. You think that Ed Sheeran's going to knock on your door and whip you away to somewhere and something more amazing is going to happen. When the invite that you say maybe to on a Wednesday for Saturday, um, and what happens is the people who are organising events, as I know somebody did last year, 30 invites out to a young adult community, 20 maybes. So what happens? That event goes off, it disappears, it doesn't happen because you can't cater for 20 maybes, okay? You with me? You know what I'm talking about, eh? It's killing you. So therefore, will you organize something for your mates? Heck no. Why would I want another 20 maybes? Now why would I look like an idiot when I have to actually say, oh by the way, I'm not so popular as I thought, so therefore I'm not gonna do this event. So you think all that through and so therefore you go, hmm, no, I'm not going to invite anybody to anything because somebody might reject me because those maybes, they kill me. And that drives you into isolation, drives you into loneliness, drives you into depression. Then you have to come and chat to Rob, drives him crazy, drives your parents crazy, drives drives you crazy. Now, what I'm trying to say here is when Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, he meant it. Yeah? For a reason. For a reason. That's the one, mana. Now, I'm not trying to wind you guys up. I'm just trying to give you some, give you your life back. Just be committed to each other. If you've got a friend, have a friend. Don't have a maybe. Oh, I'm 10 minutes over time. Where are we? I'm a commodity, marketable. (laughs) I keep my choices open. (laughs) Celebrity is my goal. I want to be discovered. And the worst one of all is, (laughs) truth does not exist. That's the challenge. Now, here's the challenge for us as a church, is that um, in the world that we live in, we used to be tightly yoked to society. The church and society had this cosy relationship over the last about 300 years, okay, where the values of society were echoed by the church and, and opposite. So we would raise things at a moral level and say to, the church, to society, hey, 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 ease off on that. You know, we're a Christian society. Christians don't do that. And then there'd be a bit of a debate. Now the ship has left the harbour. Okay? And we are actually returning as a church back to the place where we've traditionally held, that we've traditionally held. A place where we are an alternative community, a light on a hill. We're told salt, salt, which brings flavour to society, and uh, and with that comes people who will criticise, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, persecute. That's okay. This world we live in right now, 2019, is not a surprise to Jesus. He hasn't woken up and gone. Oh, who invented the internet? He didn't. And so therefore, let me just wrap this up. I'm way over time. Bernie's going to shoot me. He's turned off my... Let's just bring them all up, eh, Geordie? One, two, three, four. Right. This is what we've got. As a church, um, we need to continue to have conversations. Never, ever let the conversation die with society around us, with your... Grandchildren, your children, your nephews, your nieces, your young people in your workplaces, never let the conversation die. Otherwise, we say we have nothing to offer. Community is incredibly important. What we do here is unbelievably healthy. To be connected, and we could talk about that forever. Um, Christian faith brings purpose and self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice brings purpose. And purpose and self-sacrifice bring identity. And they actually help you be not, not somebody who's just defined by how much money is in the bank but defined by the greatest amongst you shall be the servant of all, that's the greatest point of identity within the gospel and to not be known in Christ spirituality is a very cool conversation okay ask people if they're religious Mm-mm. go to church, Mm-mm. are you spiritual? oh yes <laughs> oh yes, deeply spiritual because spirituality is cool So you just ask people, I do this these days, if I'm chatting to somebody, um, this is a line from Jim Hearn, by the way, Jim who passed away a couple of years ago, great old saint. Jim's favourite line, and I've used it, is uh, when you're chatting to people, say, tell me about your spiritual journey. Well, it's not offensive, is it? Huh, oh, my spiritual journey. Yeah, okay. And so you've got a conversation, and then you can tell them about yours, of course, because we reciprocate, that would be unkind not to. And remember that you might have a thousand Facebook friends and a thousand people following you on Instagram, but at the end of the day, you have an audience of one. And that's all that counts. That's what counts an audience of one. The God who created you, who sent his son Jesus to die for you on a cross, that he might make you his own by virtue of paying the price of your sin. This story is foolishness to the Greeks. We're told that in Scripture. Foolishness to the Greeks. But it has the power of salvation within it because there's something unique about the Holy Spirit diving in on the story every time you tell it. And people come under conviction of this story being a powerful story that has shaped our world and it can shape their lives. So that's enough for me uh, because you guys, your roasts are burning. and uh, But... Yeah. Next week you've got apologist um, Josh McDowell with his son Sean here and you'll be able to lock him straight into solid modernity truly this, is, this stuff what I said today counts you understand your world because of this Josh is going to present to you rationale, reason and logic for the faith that you have Okay, that's a really really good thing Because in spite of the world that we live in With all the feelings There's still a whole lot of people Wired along this whole Plane or trajectory of logic And uh, we need to have all of these things uh, Going well for us We need to understand our faith Spiritually uh, Intellectually Relationally All right? All good? Do you like this stuff? Maybe (laughs) Maybe All right, let's stand Let's stand, I'll pray God, your world is, um, is a pretty amazing place. And we thank you that um, even as we skim across the surface of it, as we look at it today, we see um, that society's on the move and you're one who's never left behind. And so, God, we just want to pray that we can understand the world we live in, that we can be like the people of Issachar who understood the times. God, it's a um, it's fascinating time to be alive. So much going on. I want to pray particularly, Lord, for our younger folks who have been born to this. Lord, and um, we know that their value in you is more than just being able to make my remote work. It's about being able to understand the world that they live in and um, where you are in the midst of it all. So many challenges, so many intimidations. Um, But for all of us, Lord, we we want to be able to understand the world we live in because we want to be people who have an answer. We want to have an opportunity to be able to be engaged in the conversation that points people to you. Lord, let us never lose confidence in the gospel. It is foolishness to the Greeks, but it's the power of God under salvation. And we love that. It's a miracle. And Lord, let us not lose confidence in the church. Lord, we, um, we believe in what you're doing through us, and in us, and we just trust God that we can be your agents, your people here in this city, in this nation, and beyond, uh, being able to live out this alternative lifestyle and uh, just know your blessing continuously. May we be that light on a hill, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.